0: You're listening to the Mission Church podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. If you need a Bible this morning, go ahead and raise your hands. And uh, one of our ushers will be happy to place one in your lap. And go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9 this morning. Um, If you are new with us, we've been going through Genesis verse by verse. And here we are in Genesis chapter 9 following the universal flood of judgment. Uh, God sent his flood upon the world because sin had become so rampant. And God called a man named Noah who was righteous, not because he was such a good guy, but because he believed the promises of God, he responded to God's love, and Noah, along with his wife, their three sons, and their wives, eight people, Russ, can we get one more Bible if you get a chance? Eight people out of the billions on earth were saved. And if you were with us a couple of weeks ago, the ark rests on the mountain of Ararat after this universal flood. All life has been destroyed except these eight people and the animals in the ark with Noah. And the first thing that Noah does when he gets off the ark is he worships God. He builds an altar. He establishes thanksgiving to the Lord for his salvation. And this is where we pick up today. Genesis chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth, on every bird of the air, on all that move on the earth and all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hand. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you I have given you all things even as the green herbs. Uh, Genesis chapter 9 begins with echoes of what do you remember from earlier in Genesis? Who did God speak many of these things to? To Adam and Eve, right? He told Adam and Eve the first male and first female married together be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God's instruction has not changed. For Noah and his family and his sons and their families. God has given dominion of the earth to Noah and his sons. And this is important for us to understand. This is going to be a running theme through today's message. God gives Noah and his sons dominion over the earth. Meaning the earth does not rule man. Man is to rule the earth. God is establishing an opportunity for men to steward well what he has given. And we see that he gives the command, hey, I want you to be fruitful and multiply. I want you to bear children. And not just for the sake of bearing children, but bearing children that love and honor and worship God. Making disciples. And then the verse that many of us like in verse 3, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. Yes, God did provide animals four people to eat, just as he also provided the plants. We see echoes from Genesis 1 also here in Genesis 9 for Noah and his family. We continue in verse 4. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. Surely for your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning. From the hand of every beast I will require it, and from the hand of man... From the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God, he made man. And as for you, be fruitful and multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply in it taking notes this morning, I encourage you to write this down. What we see in verses 4 through 7 is that God establishes government to protect the sanctity of life. God establishes government to protect the sanctity of life. Now this is very interesting what God is doing. God sent a flood of judgment which wiped out billions of people because of their sin. And he is Starting with a new beginning with Noah and his sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, and their wives. And here's what God is doing in these verses. God is telling Noah, Noah, I am establishing you. I am establishing your sons. I am giving authority to mankind to protect the sanctity of life, to judge with fairness with righteousness, with judgment, because you have been called to have dominion over the earth. Therefore, God gives man the responsibility of doing what? Of ruling over the earth. We see this uh, more descriptive later on in Leviticus, where we see the complexity of a judicial system of a right way to judge others according to God's law, according to his commands. And it's important for us to understand that God is giving to man the responsibility and the accountability to judge with justice, to judge with righteousness. And if man does not take up that mantle... If man will not judge with righteousness, what kind of world will we live in? A world full of injustice. A world full of oppression and pain and suffering. Not because we have an unjust God, but because a just God gave dominion to mankind to rule and reign over all he had blessed them with. And he called them, to rule with justice. God establishes government to protect the sanctity of life. Look at verse 6. It says, whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. Now, at first reading, it could seem like, oh, hey, this is just a life for a life, and that's the way it goes. No, this is way more complex. God is giving man the responsibility, that if a life is taken, if murder happens, whose responsibility is it to act justly? It's man's responsibility. It's the government that has been put in place to do good for the people, to defend the weak, to uphold righteousness. Therefore, if someone murders somebody else, God takes this seriously. And in verse six, he says, for in the image of God, He made man. God is not just interested in a life-for-life mentality. There's a depth behind God's judgment. He created men and women in his image specifically to be a testimony of who he is on the earth. And when a man takes another man's life by murdering him, that is not symbolic. That is not representative. That is not a good testimony of the God that we worship. That is unjust while God is just. God is the giver of life, not the one who takes it away. When we consider the Garden of Eden, even though Adam and Eve sin and rebel against God, God makes a covenant promise, right? That who would come? a Messiah, a Redeemer, a Savior. God is the giver of life. He desires to see people walk in his ways for the very purpose of upholding justice so that when injustice occurs, it is dealt with swiftly and with righteous judgment to uphold the community and the countries of the earth you with me this morning? Let's continue in verse 8. Then God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And as for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you, of all that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth. Thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again, everyone say never again. Never Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. Now is this because there's no longer going to be sin on the earth? Why does God say never again will I bring this kind of judgment on the earth with a flood? Because whose responsibility is it to now bring judgment on the earth? Oh, it's now man's responsibility. God has rightly equipped man to judge with righteousness and justice according to the character of God. So that as man worships God as man lives in relationship with God, as man understand God's character, he also will have the ability to rule and reign with justice and righteousness over mankind. God makes a covenant in which he says he will never flood the earth again. He hands the dominion off to mankind. Now, just to be clear, God says that he will never flood the earth again, meaning a universal flood. Has God been faithful to his covenant? Yes, he has. Remember that God established the boundaries of the ocean. God is the one who locks the polar ice caps in their place. He is the one who controls the storehouses of heaven from both above and from below. As the creator of the universe, he can unleash waters at any time and yet because God is faithful to his covenant, he has not flooded the earth again and he tells man, I will not do this. I make my covenant with you as men and women and I make my covenant with the beasts of the earth and now God sets a sign, a visible symbol Of this covenant and this is the sign of the covenant verse 12 which I make between me and you between every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations I set my rainbow in the cloud and it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth it shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud and I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. The rainbow shall be in the cloud, and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant, which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. God's covenant displays his loving kindness. God's covenant displays his loving kindness. Did people get any better after the flood? They did not, unfortunately, right? It was the same before as it was after. Rejection of God as Lord of their life, selfish ways, injustice, oppression, Murder, we could go on and on. And yet, God, in His loving kindness, promises to never flood the earth again and instead equips man to handle sin on the earth. And God provides a sign of this covenant. And here's what I love about the sign yes, it's pretty, it's a rainbow. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. But who can see the sign? Everyone. It's not unique just to believers. It's not like you get special lenses when you're a Christian. You're like, see the rainbow? And people are like, no, I don't see it. God decides to provide a sign of his covenant for all mankind. Because in his loving kindness, who does God desire to come to him? It's everyone. All people. From all different places, of all different sexes. To come to salvation It is unique that God chooses to use a rainbow as the sign. Uh, It's not the first time that God has created signs with covenants, Um, but he chooses a rainbow. And I don't have specifics on why, but I did look up what makes a rainbow. Um, I have an 11-year-old, a 10-year-old, an 8-year-old, and a 6-year-old, and they want to know, Dad, what makes a rainbow? And you can see them not only after a rain, but If you've ever been to Yosemite, you often see it in some of the waterfalls when it's flowing, or even cool enough, you can see it in the sprinkler system in your front yard as your kids run through. And people are like, you're wasting water. I'm like, no, I'm reminding them of God's covenant promise. Take that, state of California. How a rainbow is made, uh, this is the basic version because I understand nothing more. There has to be sunlight behind you. There has to be clouds and water in front of you. And when the sunlight comes in, it hits the water droplets and it bends around the water droplets, shooting back the light that was sent from over here and it creates the rainbow. And we all know how many colors are in a rainbow? Seven. Seven, and you remember those colors by how? Roy G. Biv. Well, well done. Homeschool mama right there. She's like, yeah, I got it. <laughs> we won't, we won't go through all the colors this morning. Um, but here's what's amazing about God's intentionality with the sign of this covenant is that the rainbow colors are always in the same order. Always. You will never see a rainbow with colors out of order. It goes in that Roy G. Biv order. And what I love about the sign of this covenant, is it's hard to even fathom the amount of chaos and disorder that occurred with the flood. Tectonic plates shifting, sea levels rising, mountains coming down, landslides, floods and then ending up in the universal flood, covering the tallest mountains by 22 feet, massive rip currents, all flesh dying, And the sign of God's covenant promise that he would never flood the earth again is a symbol of beauty and order. Beauty and order. God's ways are amazing. His ways are perfect. And the text is very interesting. It says that God provides this sign so that who will remember? It says that he will remember. Now we know in God's character, does he ever forget? No, he never forgets, but it's for our benefit to be reminded that God remembers that he will never flood the earth for judgment's sake ever again. Now we do know a day is coming when God will bring judgment onto the earth, when he will bring King Jesus back in a messianic kingdom to rule and reign, providing perfect justice what we all desire, what we're all longing for. But until that time, God has given man the responsibility of judging rightly until the return of King Jesus. As we continue in this story, um, we're going to get into verses 18 through 29, which some of you may know. It's a bit of a strange story that we may think is in the Bible. Um, Noah has too much to drink he robes himself in his tent and we may wonder why is this story in scripture what value does this add and in my time of study in a faulty way still it was amazing to me the depths of how god moves in our life how he uses scripture every single verse to edify and to build his church so here we go Genesis chapter 9, verse 18. Theme music for Noah. (laughs) Could have have been worse theme music. (laughs) Now the sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham was the father of Canaan. Uh, Remember, Moses is writing the book of Genesis, and Moses mentions this several times, that Ham was the father of Canaan. We'll talk a little bit about that in chapter 10. These were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was populated. We have to remember, all flesh had died. There were only eight people living on the earth when Noah And his family got off the ark, which means out of the 7 billion people that walk our planet today, they all descended from who? Noah Noah and his sons Ham, Japheth, and Shem. Verse 20. And Noah began to be a farmer, and he planted a vineyard. Then he drank of the wine and was drunk and became uncovered in his tent. Interesting that Noah didn't become a shipbuilder. He had enough experience. I thought maybe that would have been the job that he, he went for, but instead he becomes a farmer. And in his farming, he plants a vineyard. And Moses is just very direct Noah has too much of his own wine and he gets drunk. Uh, we have understanding throughout the scriptures that drunkenness is not acceptable in God's kingdom. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 says, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. For in drunkenness is dissipation. Uh, dissipation means destruction. It leads to nowhere good. And the scripture doesn't tell us, but maybe Noah had a really bad day. Maybe Noah had a hard month. And his vineyard wasn't growing the way he wanted it to grow. Maybe there was trouble in relationships with his family. Who knows what it was, but Noah found himself abiding in something besides the Lord. John chapter 15, Jesus says this I am the vine, and you are the branches. Abide in me, and you will bear much fruit, for you can do nothing apart from me. For whatever reason, Noah found himself abiding in something besides his relationship with the Lord. And we're not going to dwell on this for too long, but just as a quick note, beware of a counterfeit Holy Spirit. Beware of a counterfeit Holy Spirit. Alcohol can be a counterfeit Holy Spirit. Looking for courage, looking for boldness, looking for comfort, looking to numb the pain. Alcohol can provide this temporarily, but it leaves us more empty and depraved than we were before. It can be certain types of relationships. It can be pornography. It can be success. It can be material things. Grasping at something to try to comfort us or to fulfill us is nothing but a counterfeit Holy Spirit. And God's desire and His provision is to give us the third member of the Trinity, to provide us comfort, not by getting out of our circumstances, but by meeting us in the midst of our circumstances, a peace that surpasses all understanding, to provide us with boldness, not just to say anything that comes to our mind, but to edify and to share the good news with others, to be able to get to the heart of where our pain comes from, as difficult as it may be, this is what the real Holy Spirit provides. And Noah found himself, for whatever reason, abiding in a counterfeit Holy Spirit. And it leaves him in a position that is very vulnerable. He gets drunk, he passes out, and in the process he loses his clothes. Now keep in mind, where is Noah, according to the Scripture? He's in his tent. Um, This is important. Noah's not gallivanting about the town, um, running around. Um, This isn't a a drunken wild night where he goes out and parties with his friends. Um, It's in his tent. But nonetheless, we know that this is sinful on Noah's part. And let it be a reminder to us that a great man of faith, which Noah is and Noah was, all men, all women are susceptible to deception to abiding in something else. Even when we know it's not the right thing to do, the flesh is strong, which is why abiding in Christ in his spirit is so important because the spirit is willing and the flesh is weak. And Noah began to be a farmer and he planted a vineyard. Then he drank of the wine and was drunk and became uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, there it is again, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Uh, In the Hebrew, it literally says, he took delight in telling people. Um, This begins to reveal the character of Noah's son, son, Ham. Ham sees that his father has gotten drunk, passed out naked in his tent, and he can't wait to do what? Post it on Instagram. (laughs) Share it with everybody else to point, to laugh, to mock, to snicker. And unfortunately, in our society today, this has become something that's relatively normal. It's humorous. It's funny. It's kind of what everybody does. In a certain season of life, oh, they're just being, and you fill in the blank, kids, young adults, And yet we know that there's something wrong here. We know that what Ham did was not according to the character of God. And we begin to see something important. We begin to see that there is a breakdown in the honor and respect between Ham and Noah. Ham is not honoring his father. Ham is not taking the opportunity to cover up his father, instead, he's taking the opportunity to uncover more of his father. Now, when we think about this in our context, besides the spouse of a husband or a wife, who sees the faults and failures of a parent the best? Oh, it's the children. It's the children. And we live in a society. That loves to blame who for all our issues, blame mom and dad for all our issues. And it's across the board. And listen, I want to make something abundantly clear. There is no question that a parent is in a primary discipleship role in our lives, and a parent can do lasting damage, can do significant harm. There's no question. But what we're talking about today, in the context of what's going on, listen, Noah wasn't abusing Ham. Noah wasn't doing anything um, sexually immoral. He got drunk, he sinned, and his own son dishonors him. And I want us to think deeply about how God chooses his commandments very carefully. He only provides ten. And the first four have to do with our relationship with God, the importance of us living with him as Lord and us as his children and his servants. It is a father-child relationship that we are to be in with God. And commandment number five, which begins the relationships between human beings, is honor your father and mother. Honor your father and mother. And with this commandment comes a promise of an abundant life. It's the first commandment that actually comes with a promise of abundant life. Now I want us just to think about this a little bit practically. And again, we're speaking in generalities. But even if you've been hurt by a parent, I want you to have ears to hear today. God sent a flood of judgment in God's righteousness to judge sin. When that flood is over, he makes a covenant with Noah and his sons and their descendants after, saying, I am now equipping you to judge mankind righteously. According to my ways and my character, you are responsible for justice. Therefore, When a parent and child relationship begins to break down, what are the consequences? What are the consequences? Just think, even from when a child is young, if a child does not honor father or mother, they don't honor the babysitter. And if they don't honor the babysitter, they don't honor their coach. And if they don't honor their coach, they don't honor their teacher. And if they don't honor their teacher, they probably aren't going to honor policemen or others in authority. And if they're not honoring others in authority, they're most likely not going to honor their pastor. And if they're not going to honor their pastor or their parents, what kind of relationship do you think that child will have with God? Do you see how dangerous it is when a child does not honor father and mother. Now, this is an interesting situation because it doesn't say, well, hey, you only have to honor your father and mother if they're A-plus parents, if they're really good. This is the relationship that we are called to have. We are to honor our father and mother. Yes, did Noah sin in getting drunk and naked in his tent? Absolutely. And God is not permissive of sin. But remember, who has he given authority and accountability to bring what is just and right? He's given it to man. And Ham was in a position where he could have justly covered his father. And instead, Ham chooses to do what? To uncover even more. To tell with delight of the foolishness and the sin of his father. To go into the counseling session, to go to the friends and say, what's my dad's fault? It's my mom's fault. I'm this way. I have my sin because it's not my fault. It's my parents' fault. (coughs) And God goes, no, 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 no. Honor your father and mother so that the relationships that I have given you In your community and in your country and between me and you are good and right and true and that does not mean that everything's always okay there may need to be conversation and repentance and reconciliation and I understand not always can those relationships be reconciled but as followers of Jesus Christ we are to seek what? Reconciliation, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We are God's ambassadors given a message of reconciliation between the father and his estranged children. Ham chooses to take advantage of the authority that had been given to him, the governance that had been given to him and instead to use it for his own personal entertainment and gain. And if that's not a picture of the society that we live in, exploiting others, making money off the nakedness of other people, profiting off the trafficking of other human beings, building business, on the backs of those who are working hard and yet hardly getting paid or being treated poorly, this is what happens when that child doesn't honor father and mother. You get the results of a very broken society. Are you with me? When we consider honoring father and mother, God makes a promise with this command. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, he says this. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Don't get caught up that this is just for little kids. Who is this for? This is for us as adult children. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. Here's the promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will what? They will go well for you. Again, this is speaking in generalities. But when there's a healthy relationship between parents and their kids, how does the family unit function as a whole? Things go pretty well. And if things are going well in the family, and those kids are in school or they're homeschooled, how are things going at school? There's a pretty good relationship between the teachers and the kids. And when those kids get into sports and their coach goes, Hey, Timmy, that's a good try, but you're not keeping your elbow up. you got to keep your elbow up when you swing. It's going to help you out. Little Timmy goes, Thanks, coach. You're right. And things go pretty well. And that transfers not only from childhood but to adulthood. So that when a police officer pulls you over and you are doing 45 and a 25, You don't break out your cell phone and go, I'm filming everything you're doing right now. I'm being harassed. No, you were what? You were speeding. And you understand that who has been given authority to justly oversee what is wrong and right? Mankind. Therefore, you go, officer, I was speeding. I'm sorry, I will receive the ticket and here's a card for the Mission Church. I hope you come on Sunday. (laughs) They just might come if you do that. Now, please don't go doing 45 and a 25 and say, well, my pastor said. (laughs) But do we see the seriousness of honor father and mother? Parents who are in here with young kids, myself included, it cannot be overstated that your relationship with your children and teaching them this godly command and principle is far more than just behavioral obedience. It has ramifications into their adulthood not only with their boss and employer but in their marriages and ultimately in their relationship with their creator. And it is so important. It's why in our Awana program that we have, we teach respect for authority. And it's not this iron domination fist of do what I say. It's an understanding that God is the establisher of government and authority for the purpose of protecting the sanctity of life. And life is found in the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ and with others. This is what Ham missed out on. This is what he failed to do. But Noah had two other sons. Verse 23. But Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father's nakedness. Oh, do not miss this. Did Noah deserve this from his sons? He didn't. Who Who is in sin? It was Noah. Who's ever sinned before? How many of us would like to have friends and family that come alongside us with the righteousness of Jesus Christ to help cover us instead of expose us? Who come alongside of us and go, hey, I noticed you got a little drunk and naked. How about we have some conversation together? I know you know that's not okay. How can I be helpful to you? How can I provide accountability? How can I encourage you? What was, what was so rough about your day that you felt like you had to turn to the bottle in order to find relief? You should just call me. Just text me. Let's talk. I'm not the Savior, but I'll walk with you. I want to be there to encourage you. This is what Shem and Japheth did. This is how they covered the nakedness of their father. And what an amazing picture. These two men standing parallel to one another with this clothing in their hand and their eyes set on the Lord instead of the sinfulness of their earthly dad. And they walked backwards until he was covered. And then they left the tent. You know what this reminds me of? Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve eat of the forbidden fruit that they weren't supposed to. And immediately the scripture tells us they realized what? They were naked. And so they hid from the Lord. They were afraid. And they sewed fig leaves together, which were clearly inadequate for the nakedness that they had. And God goes to great lengths to provide what for Adam and Eve? Oh, to cover them. He doesn't come to them exposing them, yelling at them, angry, pointing out. Yes, there was sin and there are consequences for sin. But what God does for Adam and Eve is he takes an innocent animal and he slays it and skins it and covers their nakedness with this substitutionary atonement, with a substitute in Adam and Eve's place They get covered by God. And we all know sitting here, this is a tremendous foreshadowing and picture of what Jesus Christ has done for us. There's not enough self-righteousness, good works, trying to earn God's favor that we could possibly do to cover the nakedness or the sinfulness of our own lives. It would be like trying to sew fig leaves together. And at the slightest breeze, there we are exposed again. And what God does is he sends his son, Jesus Christ, to cover us in our nakedness for the purpose of redeeming us from our sin. What an incredible picture that Shem and Japheth provide. Verse 24, So Noah awoke from his wine, and he knew what his younger son had done to him, Uh, We don't know how Noah knows. Maybe uh, Shem and Japheth told him. Maybe it was already kind of the talk of the family. Maybe Ham was like, ha, taught you. Uh, Whatever it was, Noah knew. And what is Noah's response? What would your response be? He was what? He was angry. Not because he didn't have sin to deal with but because the son that was placed in a position of authority did not do justice. Did not do what is right. Friends, I think of uh, what happened in Valde, Texas this week. Sobering for everybody. Whether you have young children or not, um, hard to even fathom what a scene like that must have been like, what the families are going through, what an entire community is experiencing. But can I tell you that the Bible speaks wholeheartedly to this? There is a young man who did not honor father and mother. And a young man who did not honor his teachers. Who did not honor authority. And he got swept up in the evil that is literally lurking out there from a real Satan who wants to kill and steal and destroy. Not only that, But where is the justice in our world? Where is man not ruling and reigning and addressing sin in people's lives, but letting it run rampant, declaring everybody right in their own eyes? This relativistic culture of you believe what you believe, and I'll believe what I believe, and you guys just do everything you want, And people ask this question, how can a good and loving God allow this to happen? Is that a good question? No, it is a good question. That's a legitimate question. How can a good and loving God allow this to happen? And we go back to what God provided to man. Noah and your descendants, I give to you establishment of government to protect the sanctity of life whose hands is it in oh it's in ours and the blame often gets placed on God and we have to remember this there is a day coming when Christ will return and rule and reign from his messianic kingdom with perfect justice and righteousness and when that day comes All those who have not repented of their sin, who have not turned to Christ, will spend eternity in hell. And the question gets asked, how can a loving God do this? He does not. Man has dominion over the earth. And when man fails to exercise justice, we reap what we sow. I'm going to put a verse up on your screen. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. His promise to bring justice and righteousness to the earth. His promise to return. His promise that he's upheld since the Noahic covenant. I will not flood the earth with my judgment. Mankind, you are responsible for judging rightly and justly. God has fulfilled his promise, but he will come back. And it's not that he's being slow, as some count slowness or slackness, but it's because he's long-suffering toward who? Toward us, the ones who have dominion and don't exercise it properly, the ones who are walking in sin and who need to turn and repent so that they can be saved because it's his will that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. What is God's heart? Oh, it's not for mass shootings. It's not for death. It's that people would come to Jesus Christ and the dominion of man is failing in exercising the justice that they're supposed to be. Because of this injustice, in verse 25, Noah says, Cursed be Canaan. Remember, Canaan is whose son? Ham's son. A servant of servants he shall be to his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the God of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. And may God enlarge Japheth, and may he dwell in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. Noah pronounces blessings and a curse. Blessings for Shem and Japheth, for exercising righteousness justly. Because that's what happens. You reap what you sow. When you sow justice, what do you reap? A just society. A just community. doesn't mean that there's not bad things that happen, but if it's dealt with with justice and righteousness, things go well. But for Canaan, the son of Ham who sowed injustice, who sowed sin, he inherits the very same. And Canaan becomes the father of the enemies of God's people, Israel, full of wickedness, not honoring mother and father, and having zero relationship with God himself. Verse 28, and Noah lived after the flood 350 years, so all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. What a life for Noah, 950 years. Can you imagine the change he must have seen? Wow. Now we're going to cover verse chapter 10 very quickly. We're not going to go verse by verse. But chapter 10 is unique to the Bible alone. Now we talked about how Pastor Dave was teaching us about the flood, Um, Hundreds of cultures and religions in the world have what? They have a flood narrative or a flood story or an explanation about a universal flood. But when it comes to the genealogy of how the nations came about and how they were separated, the Bible stands alone. And in Genesis chapter 10, we get the understanding of from whose line, Ham, Shem, or Japheth's line, where all the peoples of the earth went based on the divisions of their language, and their languages were divided where? The Tower of Babel, which we see in chapter 11. Now, we're going to cover chapter 11 on its own on another Sunday, but it's good to remember. Chapter 10 is referring to when God confuses the language of all the people who had gathered at Babel for the purpose of glorifying themselves and rebelling against the Lordship of God, God divides them by language, and they go their separate ways. Genesis chapter 10 verse one says, now this is the genealogy of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And sons were born to them after the flood. And we're gonna get a pretty decent list of all the sons from Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And again, we're not gonna cover these by name, but I am gonna get a map up on the screen to help you see where the various people groups came from. The red is the descendants of Japheth. These are his children and his children's children and so forth. And here are the people that come from Japheth. He is the father of the Indo-European people from India all the way to Western Europe, which includes but is not limited to the Germanic tribes, the French, the Spanish, Russia, Uh, you'll notice within that list, there's that name Magog. If you were here for a Russia talk on uh, Ezekiel 38, you'll recognize that. He was also the father of the Armenians, primarily what is known as the Gentile people. And Japheth, here's what's amazing. From Japheth's line come millions and millions of non-followers of God's law and relationships. They are the Gentile people. And what do we know that God does with the Gentiles? He grafts them in. He sends his son into the world, Jesus Christ, for the Jew first, but then also for the Gentile. And the apostles go out sharing the good news and the Gentile world begins to be saved. Think about this for just a moment. Billions of people on the earth And God sends a universal flood, and how many people are saved? Eight. Eight. As bad as our world is today, millions if not over a billion people have received the grace and the good news of Jesus Christ. Isn't that tremendous? Doesn't it show the loving kindness of God's covenant that he's made? After Japheth, we get to Ham. Verse 6, the sons of Ham were Cush, Mizraim, Put, and Canaan. Uh, Ham is here in the green, a very large group there in North Africa and in the Middle East. And here are the descendants of Ham. They are Egypt and Libya, North Africa, Babylon and Ethiopia, The Hittites and the Lebanese, uh, most likely also those who are of Orient descent. And there's a couple of important names within Ham's line. One of those names is Nimrod, and we kind of use that term as, I don't know if anybody even uses that term anymore, but my grandpa used to be like, oh, you're a Nimrod. (laughs) I thought that was bad, then you look it up and it's like, he was a mighty hunter. Unfortunately, Nimrod was not only a mighty hunter of animals, he was a mighty hunter of people, and he led people astray. He is the leader of the Tower of Babel. He is the one who taught the religion of self-worship, that we don't need God and we can do anything on our own and let us do what is right in our own eyes. And after Babel fell apart, Nimrod then went on to Assyria to establish the city of Nineveh. And what do you know about the city of Nineveh? The most wicked city on the earth for thousands of years. Why? Because when you don't honor father and mother, you will not rule with justice and righteousness and you reap what you sow. Wickedness. For millennia. From Shem. One of Noah's sons who is blessed by Noah. We get uh, the Arabian Peninsula, which also includes this area of Israel. And the people who came from Shem are the Persians, the Assyrians, the Syrians, the Arameans, excuse me, the Arameans, and also the Hebrews. Um, What's really neat is you can do this on your own, but if you go to Luke chapter 3, there's the genealogy of Jesus. And if you work your way backwards in Luke chapter 3, you end up with Shem and with Noah at the beginning of the genealogy of Jesus. Uh, Pretty amazing and also very accurate. So what does chapter 10 tell us? Because yeah, hey, Japheth, he did what was right with Noah, but did he have sinful descendants? (laughs) Yes, he did. Shem, he did what was right with Noah. Did he have sinful descendants? Yeah, the sworn enemies of God's people, the Assyrians, the Babylonians who attacked. Ham definitely did what was wrong and reaped the whirlwind. As a matter of fact, that little red square towards the middle top is the land of Canaan. Ham's descendants inhabited the land of Canaan, which is also known as what to the Jews? The promised land. And because of the wickedness of Canaan's descendants, God orders his people, the Hebrews, to come in and do what with the Canaanites? To wipe them out because they were not honoring father and mother, which led to them not honoring authority, which led to them doing terrible things in which God says, do not intermingle with these people. Get them out. I have a promised land for you, and it must be cleansed. You must do what is right. I want to leave you with this. In 9 and 10, we see that God makes a covenant with Noah, and he fulfills it. And it's important for us to know, God keeps his covenant. God keeps his covenant, and it's an unconditional covenant. It's not dependent upon man's behavior. It's rooted in his grace. God keeps his covenant, and my encouragement to you, is live in His grace, His undeserved kindness. And would you take dominion of what God has provided to you in your marriages, in your parenting, and your grandparenting, in the work that God has given to you, or the talents and giftings that He's called you to. Do what is just and right, Because one day a Messiah is returning and he will call each of us to account. And if we have chosen to live in his grace through his son, Jesus Christ, we will hear the words, Well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for the truth of your scriptures. It's just mind blowing that a story about Noah getting drunk and ending up without clothes has so much for us today. So much for us to understand in the way that we steward what you've given us. Not simply just stuff, but the character of God, your righteousness, your judgments. Doing what is just, both when people are looking and when they're not. So, Lord, we know that you have called us to be full of your character. And, Lord, you are faithful to your promises. You keep your covenants. May we have understanding of what that covenant is so we can sow seeds that will reap young men and young women who honor father and mother, and who have relationships with Jesus Christ. Lord, forgive us, where we have sinned against you. And by your grace, continue to uphold us in a place of right standing that is not earned or deserved, but is gifted freely through your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. And everybody said, You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.